I've never had a dramatic experience that's altered my faith or one specific moment that I felt that God has set me free. Um, even though I've grown up in a Christian family, I know that my faith is my own. I know that Jesus died on the cross to save me and would do it even if I was the only person on this earth. My name is Ellie Tian and I am free. Um, a reading from Philippians. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Ellie. So this morning, we are um, wrapping up our free series. We've been talking about how we can live in the, uh, in the freedom that God has for us. Paul told the Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And so how do we live in that? Because a lot of us live lives that are bound. We're, we live in bondage. So we tried to define, and I think we all agreed in the first week of the series, what freedom is not. That it is not this cultural narrative that says, I can do whatever I want whenever I want to do it. That just doesn't work. The Elsa mantra no rules, no, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free, doesn't work. Because we always have choices to make. We always have these competing uh, values at work in us, and we have to choose between this one over this one. And, and so the, the real issue with freedom is we have choices, but which choice is going to be more freeing? Than another? Which choice is going to be more life-giving than the other? Which choice is going to be more soul-liberating than the other? And so we, we have to make these choices. C.S. Lewis talks about, uh, tells a story about a schoolboy who um, was asked what he thought about God. And so he, he replied, as far as he could make out, God was the sort of person who is always snooping around to see if anyone is enjoying himself and then trying to stop it. And I think sometimes that's how we feel about God and our freedom. That, you know, God, God doesn't want us to enjoy life, and so he puts these rules and these, these limits on us. But the reality is, God has designed life in such a way that when we make certain choices... Life is just better. Life is more freeing. And so, but those sometimes are counterintuitive. Um, so in this series, we have seen that it's more freeing to be real than to be counterfeit. We've seen that it's more freeing to be humble than to be proud. We've seen that it's more freeing to be better than it is to be bitter. And we talked about forgiveness uh, we've found that it's more freeing to really fight well than, than to flight, than to run away from the, the conflict, but to enter into conflict in a, in a productive way. And we saw last week that it's more freeing 
when you can actually create um, boundaries that protect your, your interests. And not only does it protect our interests, but it protects and helps, the other, helps others to grow. So when you look back on all of these choices, and you're free to choose, you know, either one in the, in the pairing, the reality is when you choose the one that God has instructed, they are really the most freeing because they are really in your own best interest. Which makes this morning's choice kind of counterintuitive. Because this morning, we're talking about the choice between self-interest versus generosity. So for six weeks, we've been talking about self-interest. We've been talking about those things that are going to be most freeing and and help me live the most um, fulfilling life. But now we get to this place where we go, but is self-interest really the place we need to be? Generally, when we think of generosity, because this is self-interest versus generosity, and when we think of generosity, we think of finances. We think of giving our money away. But generosity has a lot, has, has to do with a lot more than that. Next week, we're going to start a three-week mini-series leading into Thanksgiving called Gratitude Leads to Generosity. And we're going to talk about the generosity of our time, generosity of our talents, and the generosity of our our treasure. But this morning, we're going to talk about a, a kind of generosity that, is, that overarchs all of that. And it's what I'm calling attitudinal generosity. And this is hard for a lot of us because at, at our core, we are selfish beings. And so we often don't think of the impact that our choices have on other people. The text that Ellie read to us just a few moments ago in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is talking about our relationships with God and how that relationship should impact our relationships with each other. And if you want to look at it, it's on page 2259 in your pew Bible, or you can thumb to it in your device, or you can just follow it on the screen. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, if any of this is true, Paul says, then make my joy complete um, by being unified, by not being selfish, by having humility. And then he says this in verse 4. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I want us to to spend a few minutes thinking about this phrase, not only. You see, Paul doesn't say, don't look at your own interests. Right? Right? He doesn't say, forget about what what your interests are. He says, look, not only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. For the last six weeks, we've been looking at our own interests and how we can live most free. And biblically, um, that's a right thing to do. 
But Paul says, don't just look there. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at what attitudinal generosity looks like as we look also to the interests of others. So let's get practical and see how this works. How many of you were here last week when we talked about Keith sleeping on the couch? About half of us. Okay. So here's the scenario. You've got a a friend whom we've called Keith, and Keith is having trouble in his marriage, and so Keith calls you up and wants to sleep on your couch. He needs a place to crash. And so because you want to help Keith out in his time of crisis, you want to demonstrate Christ's love to him, you say, sure. But then one night turns into two, two turns into three, three turns into a week, a week turns into a month, and now you just want Keith to get off your couch. You want Keith out of your apartment, right? So the question is, what are your interests with regard to Keith? Let's just talk about them. What are your interests? Be a good friend. What else? See his marriage restored. What else? Oh, come on. Okay, what I'll say right now is you guys are a whole lot more altruistic than the first service because they were saying, I want him off my couch. I want my remote back. I want him to stop eating my food. So, but those are all legitimate interests. What else? Privacy. Your interest is to avoid conflict. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. See him fix his problem so he doesn't come back. Um, What else? Say that again. Try to see things from his perspective. Anything else? Yes. You might need his help in the future, so, so you're helping him now, you know, scratch my back, I'll scratch your back, yeah, okay. Um, reciprocal, reciprocate, something like that. All right, that's good. What are Keith's, what are Keith's interests? Avoiding conflict with his wife, right? Saving money, 
What else? Get sleep. Sorry? Better cable. <laughs> Avoiding responsibility. Um, I would say friendship. He didn't want to be alone. His interest is to receive support. One more. A good place, a roof over his head. Okay. So, while we know for certain these are our interests, or at least some of them, we don't know for certain these are his interests. Right? We know this because this is inside of us. We don't know this. We're speculating on this. But what attitudinal generosity does is attitudinal generosity tries to, to see things from the other person's perspective, tries to appreciate what their interests might be so that you can actually minister to those interests. Paul says not to do anything out of selfish ambition, but be humble and try to see things from the other person's perspective. Now, people who practice attitudinal generosity deliberately seek solutions that are beneficial to everyone involved. Yes, they look to their own interests. Absolutely. But they also try to find a common place where the interests of the other person can be met as well. We looked at this last fall in our True Love series where the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians that true love is not self-seeking. And here in verse 3, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing. Really? Do nothing out of selfish ambition? Well, that's what Paul's saying. The, the key word here is selfish. Because the Greek word has a, a common root form with the word strife and contentious. See, it suggests that, that selfishness is a preoccupation with self that is devoid of concern for others. It is divisive arrogance. It is an obsession with self that excludes others. And so looking after your personal interest, your um, well, looking after your interest is a proper way to do life management. You need to do that. But when you only look after your own interests to the exclusion of everybody else, that's just selfish and it leads to strife. It leads to contention. It hurts everybody. So you want to get Keith off your couch? It's a legitimate desire. You want Keith to stop eating out of your fridge? Yes, 
legitimate desire. You want Keith to reconcile with his marriage? Yes, legitimate desire. But how do you do all that in a way that also ministers to Keith? See, that's the question. Now, you might be thinking, well, this doesn't sound very freeing. Stay with me. We'll get there. When we look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others, we have attitudinal generosity. We try to look for creative options that will both preserve boundaries and um, it'll preserve our, our boundaries, our interests, and it will minister to the interests of others. So here's a question. What's the first thing you need to know if you're going to minister to the interest of someone else? You got to know what their interests are, right? You, you can't just speculate. If I'm going to scratch you where you itch, I need to know where you itch. So what's the best way to find out what their interests are? You ask them. It's not rocket surgery. You had to think about that one. Right? You ask them. Anybody here a mind reader? I see three or four. Okay. Um, no. We're, and it's not fair for us to put other people in the position of having to read our minds. The best way to know what the interests of others are is to ask them. And the best way for them to know what my interests are are to tell them so that we get it out on the table. Um, so I come to Keith and I say, Keith, what do you really need? We both know that my couch is not a long-term solution. That's being real. Keith, I... I really want to help you. I'm just not sure how right now. That's being humble. Um, Keith, the longer you stay on the couch, on my couch, the more resentful I'm becoming. Because you're encroaching on my world a little bit here, and I don't want to be resentful. I don't want to be bitter. I want to be better. Um, so can we sit down and have a conversation where we can just really talk this through? You walk toward the conflict in that. You fight well. Because I think it's important that we set some boundaries that are good for you and good for me. So Keith, what is it that you really want right now? What is it that you really need right now so that we can work on this together? See how that works? I'm living free. I'm living out of all of this stuff. But now... I'm walking into Keith's interests and trying to minister to him. Once you've done that, once you really get down to where Keith is coming from, you can start coming up with solutions or, so, or a solution that, that's beneficial for everybody. There's a great example of this in the book of Daniel. When Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem in 605 B.C., Daniel, Daniel chapter 1 tells us that he captured a number of the Israelites from noble families and brought, brought them back to Babylon. And he instructed the chief of his court officials to bring in, and I quote, 
young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. I'd like some of those people on my staff. Um, This is, I mean, he wants the best of the best of the best, and Daniel is one of them. king also wanted these guys to perform well. So in verse 5, it tells us that he gave them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Now, I think that sounds pretty good. I mean, if I'm going to be a slave, I might as well eat like a king. But Daniel, not so much. You see, the king's diet wasn't kosher. And Daniel didn't want to defile himself, and so he goes to the chief official to get permission to eat something else. And I love this official in verse 10. (coughs) But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. See, he's not really concerned about Daniel. He's concerned about his own head. He wants to make sure that the king sees that he's doing the job he's called to do. So, let's make a list. What what are Daniel's interests? Honor God. Eat. He wants to eat healthy. He wants to survive, sure. Both both by eating and by not having the king kill him. Anything else? I think he wants to do a good job. Okay, what about the official? What is his... Stay alive. So they have that in common. What else? Follow the rules. What else? Keep his job. Keep his job and his head. What else? That's good. He, he is the, he wants respect. Okay. So, what does Daniel do? He, he listens to the official well. He, he understands the official's interests. 
And rather than just looking to his own, he looks to his own and compares them with the official, and he finds some common ground. And so he goes to the official, and in verse 12 he says, look, let's try this. We, we both want to serve well. We both want to keep our, our heads. We both want to survive. But I've got some interests, and you've got some interests. So how about this? Let me and my guys eat veggies and drink water for 10 days. And, and you compare us at the end of those 10 days to everybody else who's eating the king's diet. And if we look less healthy than they do, then you can do to us whatever you want to. But just let's try this for 10 days. How does that sound? Of course, the official says, sure, we can do that. Well, 10 days later, guess what? David and his buddies look healthier than everybody else, and so the official changed the di- changes the diet for everybody. Because the Lord honored that. But see, David got creative. David found a solution that, that satisfied the interests of both of them. And, and that's attitudinal generosity. He didn't dig in his heels and just say, no, we're going to do this and whatever it takes because I'm going to honor God. He said, no, I'm going to honor God, but I'm going to honor God in a way that also ministers to this other person. Once you and the other person understand each other's interests, you can redefine and set priorities for the issues that need resolution. Um, You make every effort to carefully listen to the other person, to their concerns, and and show, show them that you respect them. Through the conversation, you do what Jesus said. And that is to treat the other person as you would like to be treated. Do you know what happens when you do this? Here's what the Apostle Paul said to the Romans. Romans 12, 20 to 21. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What Paul is advocating for is the ultimate expression of attitudinal generosity. It is deliberate, focused love. You see, instead of reacting selfishly with others and looking only only to her own interest, if we will look to the other person with love, we'll begin to see what they really need. If they're hungry, we can give them something to eat. If they're thirsty, we can give them something to drink. If they need rebuke in their life, we can speak truth into their life. Um, if they need patience, we can be patient with them or, or, or compassion or words of encouragement. <coughs> you may even have opportunities to provide provide material or financial blessing to somebody. You try to discern what it is that Keith really needs, and then you figure out a way that you can come alongside of him and get it. So because Keith doesn't really want to stay on your couch. Keith knows that's not the best thing for anyone. But you've got to come to a place where you can have that conversation. 
when Paul, uh, Paul's reference to burning coals, heaping burning coals on, on their head, that's, um, he's, he's talking about when, when enemies would, would come to attack, one of, the, one of the ways to fend them off was to heap burning, was to use burning coals and pour them out on your enemy. And no soldier could, could withstand that kind of barrage for very long. And so what Paul is saying is, in the same way, if you're just loving people, loving people, loving people, they can't withstand that for very long. They, it does something to them. It turns them around. Attitudinal generosity is the not only principle, where you shift your focus from your needs, your point, you getting what you want to their needs. You try to get their perspective on the issue. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, you seek first to understand before you seek to be understood. You seek first to understand before you seek to be understood. How do you do this? Um, well, the, the Greek word for look in Philippians 2 is skopos, which literally means you scope it out. You observe. Um, you, you look for what the interests of other people really are. And friends, you are most like Christ when you're paying attention to other people's needs. You say, well, but what about my needs? Well, that's where you go back to verses 1 and 2. When you recognize the, the comfort that you have from his love, when you recognize the fellowship you have with the Spirit, when you recognize the encouragement from, from being with the community of faith and the tenderness and the compassion that you experience in that, when you recognize what you have as a follower of Jesus, it is out of that abundance that you then are able to be generous with all of who you are with other folks. So as we wrap up this series, I need for us to consider what is most important in all of this. Paul goes on in Philippians 2 and says in verse 5, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, have the same attitude is that of Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here's the bottom line to this whole series. Really free people don't have to grasp their freedom to themselves. You see, really free people are free enough to give themselves away. Jesus was the freest person to ever walk the planet. And he was also the most generous person to ever walk the planet. He showed us that freedom is the ability then 
to sacrifice myself for everyone. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. See, really free people don't have to grasp their freedom to themselves. In fact, sometimes I forget that my freedom isn't the most important thing in the world. Sometimes I forget what great freedom and joy can be found in me giving up my freedom. But when I'm living attitudinally generous, I become more like Jesus. And in becoming more like Jesus, I become more free. Free people remain free to give up their freedom. They bestow freedom on others by giving up their own. Soldiers who fight for freedom and often die for it are a great model of this. As soldiers of Christ, shouldn't we be willing to do the same thing? Martin Luther wrote a book called The Freedom of a Christian. And he said this, To make the way smoother for the unlearned, for only them do I serve, I shall set down the following two propositions concerning the freedom and the bondage of the Spirit. Number one, a Christian is perfectly free, Lord of all, subject to none. That's what we've been talking about. Throughout this series, we're free. Nobody can keep us down. That's Luther's number one proposition. His second proposition, a Christian is a, perfect, a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. We spent most of this series talking about the first of those propositions, and I don't want us to forget that. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But we need to remind ourselves about the other side. The second proposition. Here's what Luther said. After talking about the wonderful freedom that we have in Christ. He said, what man is there whose heart upon hearing these things will not rejoice to its depth. And when receiving such comfort will not grow tender so that he will love Christ as he, could, as, as he never could by means of any laws or works. Behold, from faith thus flow forth love and joy in the Lord, and from love and joy willing and free mind that serves one's neighbor willingly and takes no account of gratitude or ingratitude, of praise or blame, of gain or loss. For a man does not serve that he may put men under obligations. He does not distinguish between friend or enemy or anticipate their thankfulness or unthankfulness, but he most freely and most willingly spends himself and all that he has, whether he wastes all on the thankless or whether he gains a reward, just as his father does, distributing all things to all men richly and freely. Friends, that's attitudinal generosity. And when we live out of that, we are free. So many people are bound. Many of us here this morning are bound. We're living in bondage. We're angry. We're afraid. We're bitter. We, um, 
we're so concerned with, with uh, appearing right and righteous. We're bound by rules and regulations. We're lonely. We're afraid that somebody's going to find out our secrets. We're so sure that God is angry with us. We live empty. We live with doubt. Friends, if any of that is you, then I've got some really good news for you. If you will step into the choices that we've talked about in this series, being real, being humble, forgiving others, fighting well in conflict, setting appropriate boundaries, and making all of those choices under the umbrella of attitudinal generosity, you will live in the freedom that Jesus came and died to give you. For it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Let me pray for us. Lord, I I know that there are people here this morning that are just bound by stuff. And I pray that they would they would open their hands and let go of it and just live in the freedom that you came to give us. pray, Father, that you would enable them to step into these places that we've talked about over these weeks and, and just be real with themselves and with others, they, that they wouldn't um, be bound by pride, but we'd be free by humility and just all the things, Lord. I pray that you would enable them to go there because in that place, there is deeper, healthier relationship with you and deeper and healthier relationship with others. Lord, those are things that we want. Those are things that you died that we might have. So Lord, I pray that this morning as we come to the table, we would recognize in the elements, the those precious elements, the bread representing your body that was broken, cup representing your blood that was shed the cup of salvation the forgiveness of sin Lord as we come to the table I pray that you would help us to to see that even though you were the freest being on the planet you were so free that you could just give of yourself wholly and you've called us to have that same attitude pray that the table this morning would inspire that in us.